0: Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. You know, everybody, uh, I think, asks themselves the question of uh, who Who am I?" Uh, and that, of course, is related to the question of where am I? Uh, most of us feel that something's not quite right uh, in this world. Things are broken. People suffer. Uh, there's poverty. We aren't all that we think we ought to be. Um, And then we ask, well, what's the solution to this? Those are actually very deep philosophical questions, but they're at the same time the kind of questions that any thoughtful person inevitably asks themselves. What is the nature of reality? And uh, at the root of our society's deepest political and cultural divisions right now are conflicting principles uh, about what is real. Who are we? What's wrong with this place? And what can we do to fix it? My guest, Dr. Mary Poplin, is a professor in the School of Educational Studies at Claremont Graduate University, the author of several books. Uh, we've talked a number of times before. In uh, 1996, she spent two months working with Mother Teresa and the Missionaries of Charity and details her experiences in the book uh, Finding Calcutta. She's also co-editor of Christianity and the Secular Border Patrol, The Loss of Christian Knowledge in the University. And uh, we've talked about her book, Is Reality Secular? Testing the Assumptions of Four Global Worldviews. Mary, it's great to have you back here. Thanks.
1: It's great to be back. Thank you, Al.
0: Let's, uh, let's just do a little autobiographical stuff here, if you don't mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did okay. you begin, when did you begin to awaken to the idea that life is more than it seems?
1: Well, I'm a very late uh, convert to Christianity. I I suppose I thought it was more than it seemed, but I was uh, playing around mostly in the New Age movement
0: and
1: various intellectual movements for a long time. So I was actually uh, 40 40 or 42 when I uh, came to Christ and and began to actually seriously look at Mm -hmm. who I was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that's... uh... You had the advantage of a lot of experience and background then, though. I mean, that, there's some advantage to that.
1: Right. What, yeah.
0: Were there particular uh, issues that, uh, you know, uh, neuralgic points that made you look at Christianity? Why Christianity rather than... I was looking at Wayne Dyer's, uh, the late Wayne Dyer, the pop psychologist website that's still being maintained, uh-huh. and he was became a New Age guru sort of... Uh, later in, oh, okay. in life when he began somebody had asked him the question what's the purpose of life and he said well it, i don't think it has any purpose but we have to pretend that it does <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> which is a terrible answer <laughs> That's
1: That's
0: <laughs> he, eventually he becomes convinced of some universal mind and reincarnation and, right. and uh, right. but anyways the, the point is that um I'd, i was trying to figure out why he moved from that kind of practical atheism to what we call New Age thought. And I'm kind of wondering, mm-hmm. what drove you um, from kind of a s- sleepy attitude towards spiritual things to New Age movement, and then what provoked a look at Christianity?
1: Okay, well, um, that's a re- those are really good questions. What provoked going to the New Age movement was this idea that you could be good, right, yeah. and that you could be spiritual, and that meant good, and um, and it was easy. And um, what provoked a look at Christianity was, quite frankly, a radical dream that the Lord gave me
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in which I saw the condition of my soul. Wow. And I saw him. I mean, the second I saw him, um, I saw kind of who I was. And I just fell down at the ground and started to cry. And when I woke up, I knew... Uh, I had to do something. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, fortunately, I called the right person, who um, led me to just start reading the Bible.
0: <laughs> wow, <laughs> that—that's kind of—it
1: of a... was pretty. It's pretty radical, mm-hmm. but
0: the Damascus Road. It's—I mean—it's a Damascus Road type experience.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yes, it was. It yeah. was. It was very. Uh, the dream was very. It was the only dream I'd ever had that had color in. It was the only dream I ever had that I really remembered. You know, most of them we remember pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, that's true. Pro- really
0: that's helpful. remarkable. I love stories yeah. like this because, again, it lets people know that we're not living in a closed universe, uh, that uh, exactly, there is someone who created this whole thing who can act within it when he wills. Um, right. When, when you began reading the Bible uh i mean you were already a well educated woman uh mm-hmm. what theologically what uh what groove were you getting into what tradition
1: uh interestingly i was um i was kind of led to a lot of traditions the person who i i went to first when i had the dream gave me two brochures and one was to a charismatic benedictine monastery okay that worked on inner healing through Scripture, Mm -hmm. which had a very significant effect on me, and a Benedictine monastery in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other brochure he gave me was to a man, uh, Bill Gothard, who is quite the evangelical Protestant, yeah, and um, who also uh, works on, you know, you're getting to understand yourself and sin and all of those things. So I, I went to gothard's two,
0: seminars institutes and in basic youth conflicts uh, exactly. back when i was a young christian uh, th- th- i was in okay. college uh, and it was incredibly influential uh in my life
1: it, it was for me also yeah. yeah that's good to hear i mean he just he he knew the sin nature and he knew scripture right
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right yeah and, uh, yeah I, I i there was a lot of wisdom there. And uh yep, had a, had a lot you, to Jesus. do with the way I conducted mm-hmm. my life for, for years, and still does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say, I, it, what I learned there, I still use.
1: So. Exactly. Uh, he has the best list of uh, virtues, basic virtues <laughs> I've ever seen. I think there's like 48 of them or something. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. he, he also is a very—he's uh, really capable of concise and pointed uh, aphorisms. I mean, he, he he really has a wonderful gift that way. hmm uh, yes. Now, you were in university life at that time, right?
1: I was, and yeah. I still am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought maybe the Lord would send me to Africa or something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yes, to, to save starving cannibals, uh, one way or the other. Right, right. Uh,
1: yeah, something like
0: that. <laughs> uh, so, so, what was that like then? Because you were living a, a, a modern university life has mm-hmm. become really quite secular in its assumptions.
1: Yes, it, it already was. And and it still is a challenge to just look around and see that every uh, field, every discipline, every problem in every discipline is approached solely through a secular lens mm-hmm. and to know inside yourself that there's a better, there's a better answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and a high, what, what C.S. Lewis called a higher rationality. You know, I love his quote, which I can no longer find, <laughs> but I found one day um, He said, "Man is a tower from which all of the floors cannot be reached from the bottom floor, but every floor can be reached from the top huh and And that's the way he described what um people like Newbegin and a lot of the saints and People that we read uh, describe as a, a kind of higher rationality that you get once you know Christ. Yeah, you yeah. can see things from a different perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So I can see psychology, and I can understand, you know, when they talk about the problems that people have in psychology. But the but the reality is there's there's an option that's much higher than going over and over your past. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Did you or have
1: designing your positive future
0: right, yes, that's right um did you have difficulty with colleagues uh when you began to uh integrate this experience and scripture and Christian thinking into your work
1: right uh well i had yeah I had problems, but um, I say what that right now what um what the condition is is that you have colleagues you you like them you enjoy them and you um uh, work well with them and you you all read the same material also but you can never but it's it's rare if you can really talk to a colleague about the thing the most deep thing yeah. right yeah
0: yeah
1: or the the ideas that you have for okay so the, yes there's this problem uh but where's this problem where is this the real root of this problem right mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. to try to propose that is even yeah uh, more. So, you know, I'm in the field of education, so people don't really understand why why people send their children to Christian schools, right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. And they, I mean, do they understand, they probably don't understand then that education is fundamentally uh, Ultimately, religious enterprise. I mean, it's it's a spiritual enterprise. You're, you're, I mean, it's hard to educate. It's always struck me as strange that we talk about educating people, but then stop short of really understanding who people, what people are. What kind? What is this person uh, that we're exactly. educating?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the secularists mm-hmm. either think of the person as a as material, right? Uh, bunch of cells. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: If you're a materialist or a secular humanist, a person who kind of makes themselves. Right. You know, I. You know, you make yourself. Uh, and and they believe that that I think the the most troubling part and the part that's the most difficult to convey to people is that secular secularism is not neutral.
0: <laughs> right. So, yes. <laughs>
1: It yeah. can, and the interesting thing is it supports everything from the alt right to the alt left. I mean, they're all secular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everything in the middle. And I think that that's the most difficult, uh, barrier to break is that when you exclude religious belief, um, it's not because you're, uh, a bigger picture or because you're neutral. You know, I remember, I remember, um, when uh, Diane Feinstein interviewed Amy Barrett for Judge, yes, yes, in California, and she, because Amy Barrett had, of course, worked against abortion, she, um, she said, "Well, your your dogma speaks loudly in you." And I was thinking, <laughs> "Well, <Yeah>. Diane, <laughs> we could say that about you too.
0: The uh, dogma speaks largely in you, Diane. <laughs> you know your dogma. Yeah, <laughs> a man's best friend is his dogma. So, okay, yeah, um, yeah."
1: You know what Stanley Fish said he's a radi- he he was a radical yeah. postmodernist but he always he, he every once in a while raises his head and takes up for the religious. And he said about 2 years ago for most Americans secularism is the air we breathe. Right. It's invisible and terribly limiting. And he says this most powerful of modern ideologies derives its power from the claim to be above below or to the side of ideologies.
0: Wow. wow. That is, that is very uh, profound and uh, sharp, very keen. Hold it there if you would, uh, Mary. We'll come back on the other side of the break and continue conversation. My guest, Mary Poplin, the topic, Is Reality Secular? Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Mary Poplin, author of Is Reality Secular? Testing the Assumptions of Four Global World Views. I did want to go back, because we're talking about uh, secularism is not neutral. And Christians Uh know, of course, that um, God uh, is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Uh, All areas of life bear his imprint and can be developed uh, in a kingdom direction. Um, When you were with Mother Teresa, you said earlier uh-huh. that you thought maybe you should go off uh, to become a missionary in Africa or something like that. Uh-huh. Um the first time you and I talked it was uh, over the book Finding Calcutta I believe and I right. remember uh, at that time she had a lot to do with you returning uh, to your university work. It how did that how did that play? I think people would love to hear that again.
1: Well, Mother Teresa probably said six things to me. I mean, I was there for a couple of months, and I was a runner between the uh, place that I worked with children and the mother house. And so we would pass that way. And she would sometimes just make a comment to me. Mm -hmm. Right before I left, I was sitting on a bench outside their office waiting to get some materials to take back to the center where I worked. And Mother Teresa passed by me, and then she backed up and started shaking her finger in my face, and (laughs) at that time, I was seated, and she was standing, and we were the same height. (laughs) (laughs) She said to me, God does not call everybody to Calcutta. He doesn't call everybody to live like the poor like we do. He doesn't call everybody to work with the poor like he calls us to work, and then she sort of honed in on me and pointed even closer to my face and said, but God does call everybody to a Calcutta. You have to find yours,
0: wow, wow, and that so that got you,
1: yeah <laughs> it was I was just I was stunned. um I knew I had to remember that yep. I knew it was something I would never forget, um, uh, but I didn't know what it meant, but I did know that she. She wasn't confirming. You know, you're just going to be a missionary like we are. Right, right, right. Um, and then I started thinking. So, what? What really is my Calcutta? And Calcutta is the place that you love, and it also is a place of pain, right? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, if you just think of the city, which is not called Calcutta anymore, but it was then, and um, and and that's you know where I was. Was it? it is. Painful to not be a Christian and fit in really well, and then all of a sudden you believe different things and yeah. uh, and you don't fit in right
0: right, right.
1: Um, but you know I have a lot of students who are in the same boat, right they mm-hmm. come to class and they hear things, and you know there's always Christian students there
0: right well you you uh picking up on what we were talking about last uh, segment, you go back to university life and you know that secular Secularism is not neutral, uh, and yet it's the mm-hmm. the presupposition, the assumption of academic life. Uh, it is. Yeah. So, uh, at that point, do you begin writing and clarifying, uh, you know, these competing worldviews that are out there? Uh, because mm-hmm. in the academy, the fun, the the most Prominent worldview that's adopted. In fact, it's 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 part of the air that people breathe, as you pointed out. Is this idea mm-hmm. of um, uh, man is the measure of all things? Uh, this world right. is the end of all things. Uh, right. Very secular. So, did you begin writing at that time?
1: I did. After I wrote Finding Calcutta, then I um, then my own struggle to figure out what I used to believe and what the what was the belief system at the university and in people, you know, going to the university, that caused me to look at the worldviews and try to really, um, you know, struggle with what are their assumptions and how is that either alike or different with from Christianity, because there's some overlap in the secular Worldviews of materialism. I mean, Christians believe they're, we're made of material. Also, yeah, yeah. And, um, You know, we believe that. Uh, you know, we believe in science. Yeah, and um, and then we also believe some of the things that humanists believe, mm-hmm. secular humanists. But um, but we believe something aside from that. We don't believe we make ourselves. We don't. We believe that we have a calling on our life. Uh, we believe that in order to really fulfill your life to the degree that even you want to, whether you know it or not, um, you, to know Jesus, to know God, um, will actually grant you, you know, 100% more of that possibility. You know, when you're when you're struggling with secularism, it's all on you. Right. It's all on you. And then you have all these secular uh, theories and the beliefs and things, some of which you believe and some of which you don't believe. But ha- you don't have any um, any moral plumb line to choose from. So there's no plumb line that says uh, this is kind of the true version of of this. And I, I think the reason that I avoided it and most people avoided it is that Really, in Christianity, the first thing you have to do is admit you're a sinner, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah and
1: that's very difficult in this culture. I mean, look at the Facebooks where people, and, and the number of people getting like facelifts and all that kind of thing. It's like it's, we're so obsessed with how we look to other people. Um,
0: and yet, no, and, and no obituary is, says. No obituary says, you know, she was renowned for her, her facelifts. I mean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we,
0: you know, when yeah, when, point. when all when all is said and done, what what people you know f- f- agonize over so often it, it turns out to be, in the end, not very important yeah. at all.
1: Right? Did right.
0: you did you did you quickly uh, something I've noticed with with people and, and with Christians that they. they Come, well, they all come to Christ. They all understand that uh, they're sinners. So there's repentance, turning away from sin, and then turning towards Uh God. Uh, Some people are more cognitively processing that than others. So, were you aware right away of uh, that your quote world view was changing? That uh, it, you, it isn't as though you had just come to believe a particular thing, but that right. you, you were being rewired almost. Uh, your, as exactly. you say, your your operating system of the mind was being changed.
1: Right. Right. I was aware. I I was aware, and it was it was um, uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I. Kind of didn't know how to act, and I was in the you know l- the Lord left me in the same university, <laughs> right, not just the right. same discipline, right? right so people have known me as one person, and now you're another person, mm-hmm. and so I don't blame them for not knowing how to <laughs> approach me, but um yeah, I was kind of in a constant state of standing back and looking at things, yeah yeah, I think, and uh a lot of it was uncomfortable, uh but I never felt. That going back would be better than, right. than to keep going forward mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with Christ and um, like I said, the Lord gave me this tremendous love of scripture, just you know I actually copied <laughs> the first or second year after I was at that monastery I copied the uh, New Testament and the Psalms of Proverbs by hand that's
0: that's, um, that's a great exercise. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, it was for me because I, I needed my mind needed to be kind of rewired,
0: right? I think right.
1: that's in in some ways what that was about. Um, well, let, yeah, it was. Tough.
0: <laughs> let, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about this idea of worldview. Uh, it may. Mm-hmm. It's been. A, it's a phrase that's been being used for uh, quite a while, but still, there are some people who mm-hmm. may not really know what that is. What is a worldview? Is it the same as a philosophy of life? Uh, You know, is it a religion? What is a worldview?
1: Well, I guess you could say it's like a philosophy of life, but I'm not sure that gives you any more (laughs) clues to what it is, right? Right. Um, So uh, a worldview is a set of assumptions that you kind of automatically, without thinking, operate on. Like, okay, well, I'm not feeling well if you're if you, if you're strongly inclined to be a materialist, you're going to look for a med right right immediately you know, there's something physical going on and it just needs to be fixed right right um if you're a secular humanist, you might you know get depressed about it or whatever but um because you're 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 thinking that you're responsible for making yourself and because you're making yourself and you're unhappy something's you know you're just making it wrong <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you're a pantheist, um, and interestingly, the university uses a lot of these techniques in their counseling centers, uh, you might do mindfulness training or something like that Right. Um, to try to get in touch with your spirit. A real pantheist, you know, a real Buddhist or Hindu um, believes that the problems, the sins that you have are not, they're not sort of reconcilable. They become there it's not like in Christianity, okay, I recognize my sin, and I take it to christ and i I say to him, You know, please forgive me and also to cleanse me. Mm-hmm. you know it's like mm-hmm. one John one nine right yeah. <laughs> I work sometimes in the jail with girls young young women and I say, if you have to get another tattoo, <laughs> one John one nine would be a really good one. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. Uh, if we can, if we confess our sins, uh, th- he hears us. He's faithful uh, in just yes, he's faithful and just. To forgive us, us our and sins. Yeah, and cleanse and us from cleanses. all unrighteousness.
1: That's an amazing thing, isn't
0: it? It is one of my uh, favorite verses yeah. too.
1: <laughs> yeah, mine too. And uh, and so. It's what you—it's all the assumptions in your mind that, it, that you have, and you don't even really know them. Um, you're pretty much unaware of them. Mm-hmm. So kind, kind of the way fish
0: sense. are unaware of water, probably. Right? I mean, they're—they're right. just—it's so right. natural you don't think about it.
1: Right. So I think that's—and you know, the Bible would never call it a worldview. I, I guess. Right. It's so much bigger than that. It's you know the Bible covers everything,
0: so. So you've got four worldviews that you distinguish here. I do. Let's go. Let's just go over those so people have a formal mm-hmm. understanding of what we're talking about. You, mm-hmm. uh, you've got a, a mater, we mentioned materialism, or reduction, uh, material naturalism, right. And reductionism. Um, right. Then you've got secular humanism, and what's the uh-huh. difference between those two?
1: Well, in uh, materialism, it really is basically. I believe that everything is is either matter, energy, physical laws, or their processes.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, even my consciousness is that, right? Right. And so, and it's mostly uh, in science. Like, I, I so believe in science, Gotcha. I don't believe that anything else happens.
0: So I- oh, hold it there, Mary. We'll come back and pick it up. The music is uh, calling us to a close. We'll be right back, though. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Mary Poplin, author of Is Reality Secular? Testing the Assumptions of Four Global World Views. Those worldviews are uh, material naturalism, secular humanism, pantheism, and, of course, the Christian faith. Material naturalism we we're talking about, that is, mm-hmm. again, even our consciousness is, is nothing more than right. a, an electrochemical show between the ears. Right. It, it's, there's no spirit, no soul. Even the self doesn't have any uh, essence or enduring substance to it.
1: The one advantage that a material naturalist has over uh, some of these other worldviews is they do believe in there is something true. Like, the hydrogen atom actually doesn't care what I think about it. That's right. That's right. It's
0: an (laughs) objective reality.
1: It's not open to the miraculous. And the biggest problem right now we see is it has no permanent moral compass. Right. Okay, I can create a human being in a test tube Or I can abort my child, but the next question for a materialist doesn't appear. Right. That is, what is the moral question? That's the problem we're facing, I think, in our culture right now.
0: Yeah, here we are.
1: That we can do a lot more things than we should do.
0: The evolutionary process has become conscious of itself, and now the problem Mm -hmm. is we don't know what we're supposed to do. (laughs) Right. Now that matter has become conscious of itself. It has no guidance.
1: Yeah. So even moral problems have to be defined as biological. Right. It's not true in secular humanism. Right, I'll that's what again. I
0: was going to ask you. So secular humanists mm-hmm. then differs in that they actually right. believe in some objective moral order?
1: Well, they create it for themselves. They do not believe there is an objective moral order. They believe that throughout history, human beings create these moral orders, and that we're getting better and better all the time. Okay. They believe in radical individual freedom, also, and... um It is really what Sartre called it, man makes himself. That's Mm -hmm. fundamentally what it is. And it underlies almost all social theories that we use. Constructivism, romanticism, Marxism, critical theory, postmodernism, anarchism. All of those, even most psychological theories, are basically secular humanist theories. And their biggest problem is really about the same thing. There's still no moral plumb line. So there's nothing that—there's no boundary for making up your life. And they believe human reasoning is sufficient. Again, yeah. there's no miraculous. So it's so,
0: like— uh, So moral truth, then, is lost to both the materialist, the naturalist, and it's also lost yeah. to the secular humanist. That does It is. Yeah, that doesn't keep them from—at least with the secular humanist—it doesn't keep them from claiming moral truths— I mean, uh, there's Mm -hmm. a a British philosopher, John Gray, who's always attacking secular humanism as being dishonest and and actually still Mm -hmm. hanging on to Christian morality while it claims to be secular. Because Gray knows that, yeah.
1: Yeah, to some degree. You know, Pierre Manet said the reason that, for example, France is having trouble immigrating people who are very different from them is because France has lost who they are. Yeah. And that would be true of America. Once yes. you lose who you are, you know, even that famous writer Durant, uh, Will Durant, yeah, sure. said once you lose the moral boundaries for for a nation, it's over. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: it's actually fairly grim when you think about that because you, both in France and in the United States, while there still continue to be Christians there who try to see the linkage between the Christian faith and the origins of these nations uh we kind of shut down right. in both the academy and in the uh, the political reality where does pantheism come in now the kind of uh, modern mm-hmm. uh, new age hindu buddhist view of the world
1: well there's two kinds of pantheism really there's there is the one that you just mentioned the new age one they're not really buddhist or hindu right. exactly But one of the major differences in Christianity and Buddhism and Hinduism and in some ways the latter sort of new agey things is the way that you deal with desire. Now, interestingly, a real Buddhist or a real Hindu believes that desire is always wrong, that it blocks enlightenment, it'll lead to suffering, and you want to avoid suffering. And there's kind of four noble truths in Buddhism that says there is such a thing as misery. It always comes from desires inside of us. It can be eliminated if you follow a particular path. But the problem is, the reverse in Christianity is not that you don't have bad desires, but it's that you also have good desires. Right. And what you're trying to do is to get in touch with God, right, or mm-hmm. Jesus, and increase your good desires and decrease your, uh, your bad desires. I had a lot of experience with that. yeah. yeah. So desire actually in Christianity forms your life purpose, the desires of your heart. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And most of us work in fields where that's, you know, we're working and doing things and raising families and being with people because it's good. Does that mean we won't suffer for it? No. I mean, in Christianity, suffering is not always wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not always bad. Right, right, right. I don't think I ever grew without suffering. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I know the, the truth.
0: Yeah, the major turning points in my life are all after periods of disorienting suffering. Right. So, in Christianity, in a certain sense, then, in Christianity, problem is, in some way, our desires are not strong enough, uh, enough for the for the good, that right. our desire ought to be. I mean, the central—correct me if I'm wrong here—but the central organizing principle of the Christian life is that we desire to be conformed to Christ. Exactly. Yeah, and that desire yeah, exactly. needs to be strengthened. Not that's not a problem. Right. We don't want to be unattached to Jesus.
1: <laughs> right. All right. And the Western pantheism—you know what? What you were talking about—the New Agey things you know they they use a lot of buddhist or hindu techniques right but they're really not like that they they believe they they're bringing on this new age increased consciousness and mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they um use cosmic consciousness to make category ordinary categories kind of disappear that's why there's so many so much drugs in that culture mm-hmm, that sort of mm-hmm. Uh, spiritual but not religious culture. You know, they did a study on uh, three groups in Great Britain using lots of people, and they looked at sort of psychological problems and drug drug abuse and things like that. And they had a group of Christians, they had a group of atheists, and they had a group of these spiritual people. And what they found is that the spiritual group had the most problem. Wow. The Christian group was was the most, uh, you know, had the best results.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the atheists had pretty good results, but the um, these people in this sort of new agey thing like I was in, yeah. they were the most troubled.
0: Interesting. And I can
1: understand that because well, you're constantly you sort of making up your own goodness. Right?
0: Got you. Okay. <laughs> That's what it is. So you're carrying a burden you really can't carry, which is you're trying to you construct reality. It. You're consciously trying to construct reality.
1: Exactly. And you're always trying to convince yourself that you're good and that mm-hmm. this is good and what you're doing is good. And, um, and we have a lot of that going on right yeah. now in the culture, I think.
0: And is that why reincarnation is so common in New Age groups? Because uh, we, don't, you know, we don't get it right, so we think we get a do-over you know, I mean, reincarnation really is, uh, means never having to say you're dead. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you get to come back and do yeah. a do-over. I mean, Buddhists and Hindus don't like reincarnation. I mean, they believe it, but they think that's a terrible thing to have to be reborn. Yeah. In the West, when we think of reincarnation, I think a lot of people think, oh, I get a do-over.
1: Kind of a romantic version, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: You're constantly getting better, and that's what you convince yourself of in that area. You, yeah. I'm getting better and better all the time, when really you're getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it, it, the de, the depression level. I think when you're um, trying to convince yourself you're spiritual, yeah. uh, is very very high.
0: It's interesting. It's, uh, I hadn't heard of that study before. That, that's, that's really worth yeah. taking a look at. You know, it this,
1: at. It's that's amazing. the interesting thing about um, Christianity, and I'm trying to pull together some colleagues in um, the university to begin to write in in more public places because yeah. all these things are hidden in research journals. Right? Yes,
0: yes, yes. Well, if you but, do put uh, together a project like that, let me know because I'd like to do some interviewing. <laughs>
1: Okay. I would love. I would love for you to, to actually come. We actually have it and we are we meet we meet in Dallas and at a monastery. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um and yeah, I will. I'll send you some information. With um you know, with I think that if you just look at the data, it doesn't matter. Well number one, I bet you may know you probably know this. Do you know what the number one predictor of life longevity in the United States is? i
0: don 't know that it, i 'm not aware that it 's been uh, highlighted like that, but uh, what is it
1: yeah there is a stu- there's a study out of harvard um, the The number one predictor of life longevity is regular church attendance
0: interesting, yeah, I knew that there was it was positive i didn 't know it had been that specific yeah. I, yeah. a friend of mine uh, dr uh-huh. Greg Popcheck uh, uh, Who's a therapist? And uh, we do a little segment called Social Science Apologetics uh, once every oh, week nice. or two weeks, where we take a look at some of these studies. Uh, that uh-huh. You know, again, they're, they're hidden away in those journals, like you say.
1: They are. Yeah. They are. And they're inaccessible in a way because the way you write for a research oh,
0: journal yes.
1: is, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's but, um,
0: not easy but to read.
1: There's lots of, right? I mean, psychologically, even if you become drug dependent, the people who get out of it fastest are Christians.
0: What was that again? Like, I missed that. It,
1: okay, so let's say I'm having trouble with drugs. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to get over an addiction. The people who get over it fastest are Christians. Yes. People yes, whose that children makes sense. do best at school are Christians. People huh. who go to church I mean, it's just like one study after another after another, and the studies cover all kinds of things, but if you look up the line of, you know, religion and Christianity and regular church attendance, whatever they have, whatever statistic they have, you'll find it always works better.
0: You know, given that that's the case—we've only got about uh, a minute here—given that that's the case, do you see in the academic world any more openness— to uh, a Christian understanding of things, or even a theistic understanding of things, than 40 years ago?
1: Um, not yet. No? Okay. But what I do see, though, I think is encouraging, and that is people have come to say, something's wrong here. Yeah. Something's wrong in the university. And people at the university have seen it for a long time. People inside the university have not really come to terms with it. Interesting. They often blame the outside. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I think the university now knows it's in a crisis. Interesting. So I think that's the open door.
0: Well, let's pray that uh, yeah. people will go through that open door and find uh, what God has for them. Mary, yeah. thank you so much. Wonderful talking thank with you, you again. Great talking Stay to in you. touch, okay? It's a okay. Okay. I will. Dr. Mary Poplin, the book is called Is Reality Secular? Testing the Assumptions of Four Global World Views. I'm Al Cresta. Be right back.